We're going to return again to a study in 1 Peter chapter 2. I was asked this week how long I was going to continue in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I responded, as the Lord wills, uh, or if you like, TBD. And, well, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, I was encouraged by some feedback this past week as we had begun this series, and so we're going to continue, not just because some people have been encouraged, but because it's God's Word, and it's precious and necessary for us. And so let's turn again to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read this evening from verse 1 down to verse 10. As we saw at the end of chapter 1, he had said that the word of the Lord which abides forever is the word which was preached as gospel to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is kind." And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed, or it could be translated, put to shame. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom, to this, they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray and ask that God would come and make his word, that word which would cause us to grow in respect to our salvation, this milk of the word, that it would nourish us, strengthen us, cause us to grow. Let's ask for that to be the effect of our being here this evening. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this pure milk, this nourishing milk, this which sustains us as we go on in this world, which causes us to grow and not to be stagnant in our spiritual life. Help us to love this word, even as babes seek that milk from their mother's breast. Help us to uh, feast upon it. Help us to continually resort to it. And may we grow thereby, even tonight, as we consider this next section of First Peter chapter 2. This is your precious word, inspired by your spirit, using this man Peter who walked with our Savior during his time on earth. Use it. Teach us. Instruct us. Cause us to grow. 
and those who are not yet yours. We ask that they might not reject this precious stone, but receive it. Believe in this one who is your Son, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Peter, as he writes these words, he again had taken for granted that his readers had certain experience. He says, therefore, because you had this word preached as gospel to you, because you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, because you've been born again by the means of this word, because you have tasted that the Lord is kind. Now, he says, coming to him, coming to him. How have you come to know that the Lord is kind? Because you came to him, you've tasted. And he goes on to say that this is a precious stone. Now, suppose I were to offer you tonight a precious stone. Let's say the Kohinoor, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Our Punjabi brethren here might tell me, Urdu brethren, the Kohinoor diamond which became part of the crown jewels of England. It was in the Queen Mother's crown, Queen Mother Elizabeth, for, for years. This diamond was said to be so precious that if you took and hurled one stone to the north, one to the south, one to the east, and one to the west, and filled all the space in between all those stones with gold, it would not be enough to equal the value of this diamond. Well, let's say I offer to you this diamond. What would you say? Eh, I hope you would not say, I, oh, wow. I mean, there are thieves who would love to get their hands on it. The Kohinoor diamond. I'm offering to you tonight something much more precious. The Lord Jesus Christ. This precious stone rejected by men, choice and precious in God's sight, not just in men's sight, choice and precious. Well, that's really what we're going to deal with tonight. We're going to look at three things. Christ, the chief living cornerstone, here described in uh, verses 4 and 5 and following. But then two different responses to this stone. We have the response of faith coming to him. Being built up. This precious value is for you who believe. There are those who receive this. The response of faith. But then there's the response of rejection. Those builders who reject this stone. Who disbelieve. And so we're going to look first at this precious value. This chief cornerstone. And then we're going to look at these two different responses to him that are contained in this passage. There's so much in this passage, we're going to have to make a couple of passes uh, to reap out or to dig out of it all the precious stones, the precious value that's in here. But let's begin with this approach. The living stone is precious value, the response of faith and the response of rejection. So first of all, let's look at Christ, the living chief cornerstone. Look again at the text, coming to him as to a living stone. And the picture is of a building, a building made up of Christ and believers. 
He says, you've come to him as a living stone and you also as living stones. This, this building is a living building and it's made up of living stones. Now, of course, it's, it's figurative language. We don't have such a building. It's hard to imagine in a fact, in a way, such a building. But as I said in the Sunday school hour this morning, when we considered what the church is and even looked at this passage, the living stones are laid in such a way that they're interconnected. But they're all connected to this chief cornerstone. It's a living building. Now, these readers that Peter was writing to, remember they are uh, those who re reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And it's understood generally that when he says those who are scattered, he's, he's writing to Jewish believers. You might call them JBBs, Jewish background believers. All right. And they have come to faith in Christ. And perhaps when he mentions this uh, temple, perhaps they thought, maybe even nostalgically, maybe even lovingly, of the temple in Jerusalem. And the wonders of it, as remember that the disciples passing through, looking at the buildings, said to Jesus, look at these marvelous buildings. And he said, not one stone is going to be left upon another of these buildings. If you're looking to a physical building, you're looking to a physical temple, even this wonderful place that we meet, this building is not that, that temple. This is just a convenient place. Thankfully, we have it. It's been well maintained. Thankfully, we're comfortable sitting in cushioned pews. That's not the church. The church is the living stones connected to that chief cornerstone. Much, much better than any physical building you can imagine made of gold or whatever material. This is much, much better. Now, what about this chief cornerstone? So he's living, it's a living building, but notice also that he is, he is chosen of God and precious, coming to him as to a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. Chosen precious. And so God chose this stone to be the chief cornerstone. And he follows this up with a quote from Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it, in him, will not be disturbed. The cornerstone now, these days, cornerstones tend to be more decorative, and we have one out there uh, outside the lobby. It's actually, I don't think it's at the corner. It's kind of just there. It has some inscription on it. But back in the day, the cornerstone was something that the builders would lay initially, and it would provide the angles and the direction to the whole building. It wasn't at the top. It was there to provide direction to those who were constructing the building. A cornerstone. Here's the angle. Here's uh, what we're going to measure from. It's prominent. It gives coherence, stability, direction to the whole building. That's what Jesus is for us. Stability, direction, guidance. We take everything from him. He is our 
starting point, if you will. He is the chief cornerstone. There's a parallel passage uh, written by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, the end of the chapter. A passage which has a special place in my heart because it became, in a sense, the uh, as Romans 11.36 is to Trinity, so this passage is to Moonwalk Community Bible Church. It's on our letterhead and so on. Uh, Let's read from verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay, so there's the word of God. But Jesus Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit, built together. So here we have these living stones put in the building, but the chief stone, the one who gives guidance, direction to all, the starting point for all, is Christ. Chosen of God, precious, is the next word we need to note. Precious, highly valued, greatly esteemed, Precious in God's sight, going back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Precious in the sight of God and precious in our sight as well. Now, verse 7 in my version says, This precious value then is for you who believe. Uh, you could translate it, This honor is for you to, who believe. That is this honor, this precious value of being connected to Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Now, the, the King James and even the New King James translate it this way, to you who believe he is precious. And yes, that, that, that's true. I don't think it's the best translation. Uh, even John Brown in his commentary points that out in his text, his Bible was the King James. But uh, still, that's true. To you who believe he is precious. Is that not so? To you who believe, he is precious. More to be desired than gold is this word of God. That was the text. If you remember uh, from my Sunday school class a couple of years ago about Charles Spurgeon, this was the text that he used on that occasion when he was somewhat tricked into preaching when he was not really prepared, uh, going along with that young man. And he said, well, I hope you, uh, the Lord helps you today. He said, me? You're, if you're not going to preach, nobody's going to preach. And so what is he going to do? The text that came to his mind was this verse 7. To you who believe he is precious. He thought, well, I can say some things about my precious Savior. Could you say some things about your precious Savior? If you're put on the spot, what better subject could there be? Chosen and precious. I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious corner stone. Precious. More than the value of gold that you could throw all over the whole earth. That's his value. Well, the question now is, if this is who he is, he is a living stone. He is chosen of God as the chief cornerstone laid to found the church. He is precious, highly valued, beyond value, greatly esteemed, precious in the eyes of God and the eyes of all his people. The question is this, what do you do with Jesus? 
What do you do with Jesus? How do you respond to this precious gem, this valuable stone? Well, there's first of all the response of faith. The response of faith. And it's described in these words, coming to him, verse 4, not ignoring, not despising, not passing by, not just saying, shrugging the shoulders and saying, so what? What's the big deal? But seeing this value, you hasten to him. You run, as it were, to come to him. This is a response to Jesus' own invitation in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. Come to me. And so these ones that he's writing to, they've come to him. Peter knows them. He knows this about them, that they have responded in this way, not passing him by, but at his invitation, come to me. They say, yes, Lord, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. So that's one aspect of their response. Then also it's described in this way, verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. There's that cornerstone providing a starting place, a direction, guidance, a foundation. They're built upon him. They're connected to him. They are intimately related to him. As living stones, you're built up as a spiritual house, a temple. And so, yeah, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, there's the word of the apostles and prophets, God's word. That's a foundation, but there's this corner. Without the cornerstone, the building won't start. I will build my church, Jesus said. And so they're connected to Christ. They're building on him. They're putting their weight upon him, taking their direction from him. Christ is our chief cornerstone we have just sung. And so it is union with Christ the chief cornerstone that gives us life. Without him, we are nothing. Without him, this church collapses. Without him, we might as well go home. But we have his promise. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. It's not just the faces you see around you as we're gathered here. We don't see the face of our Savior, but we believe that he is here as he has promised. Without him, we are nothing. So they are built on him, connected to him, intimately related to him as the chief cornerstone. But then verse 6a puts it this way. For this is contained in scripture, or 6b, I guess it would be. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him what does it mean to come to him? What does it mean to be built on him? It means to believe in him. They hear his word. Going back to the end of chapter 1. This is the word which was preached as gospel to you. Well, did, what did they do with that word? That gospel word. They said, this is true. This is real. I am a sinner. A great sinner. 
And the gospel tells you that. Romans starts there. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And when the gospel comes to you in power, you don't look over your shoulder and say, who's he talking about? You know it's you. All ungodliness, unrighteousness of yourself. The wrath of God. What am I going to do? Flee the wrath to come. Where? Coming to him means you believe that there's only one Savior for sinners. He's the one who lived a perfectly righteous life. Even the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You want to be pleasing to God? You need the righteousness of Christ. That's perfectly pleasing to God. He lived a righteous life. He died the death that we deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. And when you come to Christ, when you are gripped by the gospel, you're not defending yourself. You're not making excuses for yourself. You're not saying, well, I'm at least as good as everybody else. You're saying, I deserve to die. I deserve hell. What can I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul told that Philippian jailer, and you shall be saved. And so that's the response. He who believes in him comes to faith in him. And so, again, this is the right response. This is a good response. Here's this precious stone. What are you going to do with him? This precious Savior who has done for, for sinners what we cannot do for ourselves. What are you going to do? Eh. Meh. <laughs> what are you going to just shrug it off? Walk away? Coming to him. Being built upon him. I rest my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the rock which cannot move. And I believe. I trust him and him alone. Not as just a fact. Yeah, I believe Jesus lived. I believe he died. I believe he wrote. Not just kind of assent to facts. But resting your soul upon him. He rewards those who see. He who comes to God must believe that he is. Oh yeah, I believe in God. It's not enough. And he rewards those who seek him. Put your trust. Pardon for sin. Acceptance as righteous with God. The reward that he gives to those who seek eternal life. It's, the, it's, it's a gem. What are you going to do with it? Well, those who respond in this way, you might say, okay, what, what do they get? What's in it for me? Well, look at what they get. The one who believes in him, he says, verse 6, will not be disappointed. Now, my, that's my translation. Other translations have correctly. The, the word really, literally is, will not be put to shame. That's a literal translation. Why does my version say not be disappointed? Well, Romans 5, 5, let's look there. Pastor Chansky, not too long ago, dealt with this text, Romans 5, 5, where we read that we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not, Literally, put to shame. 
But my translation, and I'm sure yours as well, says does not disappoint. Because in contrast to hope, what he's talking about is your hope doesn't disappoint because God is faithful to his promise. And so when we come back here to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, and we have this one who believes in him, well, he's not put to shame, but he's also not disappointed. You see, if, if something that you hope for doesn't come, you're, you're disappointed, but it's also kind of shameful. You know, say you uh, invest in something and you have these big hopes. You know, you, somebody promises you, you invest in this and you're going to get 100% return on investment tomorrow. And you say, that sounds good. Too good to be true. Well, guess what? <laughs> if it's too good to be true, it's not true, most likely. What? But you say, you have big hopes. And when you buy into that, not only are you disappointed, but you're kind of ashamed that you bought into such a scheme. Hope disappointed really can lead to shame. And so the two things are interrelated. Let's take those two things one at a time, because uh, I believe both translations are valid and viable. Let's say not disappointed, just like Romans 5.5. 5. Think of it. You have hope for freedom from sin. You come into Christ. I hope to be done with sin. Right? We, we pray, uh, deliver us, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Well, we pray for that. And God helps. But are you yet free from sin? That's our hope. He said, but I'm disappointed. No, the day is coming when you will not be disappointed. The day is coming when there will be no more sin and no more shame that comes with sin. And hope will not be disappointed. You hope to be like Jesus. You hope to be more conformed to his image. And as you grow in Christ, yes, that's happening in a process, but you're not there yet. But the day is coming. That hope too, will not be disappointed. You hope to be perfected in love. We're to love the brethren. And you know, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's, let's say, not so easy. You want to grow in love. The love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. I pray that. I pray, Lord, I need a little more love in here. We're not there yet. But don't, the day is coming. This hope will not be disappointed. You hope to be able to come weakness and worship as you ought. Now, sometimes, let's be honest, even after the Sunday school this morning, in which we saw that it's one of the purposes of this church in glorifying God to promote His worship. Did your mind ever wander in singing, even today? We're not yet perfect in worship. We're still weak in so many ways. You hope the day is coming. That hope will not, absolutely not, be disappointed. And so, those who believe in him, we've got a hope that's not a wishing for maybe someday, well, I don't know. It's not an uncertain hope. It's a certain hope. We hope with assurance. That hope will not be disappointed. But again, this verb literally means those who believe in him will not be put to shame. 
Now, that's the more common translation of the word. And in contrast to this shame, John Brown points out, verse 7, that this precious value could be also translated this honor. Time is the, the Greek word. This honor is for you who believe. This honor. Instead of shame, we get honor. We're glorified with him in that day. But think about the shame. Those who trust in him will not be put to shame. To, to shame. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No shame in that day. Sin is shameful. But sin was taken away by the Lord Jesus Christ. The shame of sin. Now, of course, sin is still shameful for us when we sin here. But in that day, the shame is gone because Jesus paid the penalty. We could go on in the privileges, the result of this response. Once not a people, but now the people of God. Once not had received mercy, now you've received mercy. Uh, but if I went on into these things, it would be a whole nother sermon. And so we're not going to be here all night. And uh, hopefully no one will fall out of a window going on till midnight. But uh, so keep that for another time. But don't you see that this response is the only one that makes sense? Precious value. More precious than the Kohinoor diamond. What are you going to do with him? But you know, sadly, there's another response. And that response is also mentioned in these verses. Verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men. There are those who look at this stone and reject it. Verse 7. This precious value is for you who believe, but to those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected. Rejected. In other words, these builders look at it. And you can think of masons who are working with stone, not brick, not hollow blocks where they're all uniform in size, and they look at this stone and they say, eh, it's, it's just not right. Let's just throw it in a heap of rejected stones. And they toss it, this precious stone. They say, no, I don't want it. I don't like it. It doesn't look good to me. It, it doesn't meet my desires. Throw it in the heap. Like the parable of the wedding feast, you know, there, there's this invitation. And we talked about this yesterday at the preaching clinic with the men in TMA2. And here's this wedding invitation. Now, it's a feast. Do you like to go to feasts? I'm not talking about some weddings where, you know, I'm sure you've been to weddings like this, where they have it catered and the caterer just kind of mass produces this food and they throw it out there. Well, they put it out there and it's, you know, nothing special. But this is a wedding feast. And he says, the fattened calf is, your cow is slaughtered and the oxen, th this is, you know, dead cow to the max. And you know what I'm talking about? We're talking about good dead cow. And it's 
succulent and juicy and roasted to perfection. And there it is laid out. And the guy is there, the chef with his hat, and he's got his carving knife, and he's just slicing those pieces off of there. And you're starting to drool. And free food. And the king sends out his messengers. Everything is ready. Come to the feast. And they say, eh, I got business. I got a farm. In parallel passage in Luke, he says, I've got, I married a wife and I can't come. Well, bring your wife. You know, it says on the invitation, plus one. Um, I, I bought five, uh, a team of five oxen and I've got to try them out. I got a new car and, you know, my Honda, I got to check it out. Well, didn't you check it out before you bought it? I bought a farm and I've got to go look at it. Well, you mean you bought it before you looked at it? These are excuses. And here we have this precious value. And men reject it. For what reason? Well, I've heard all sorts of excuses. You know, maybe it's sports. Our team plays on Sunday, and I'm sorry I can't go to church. Uh, career. Well, you know, I've got, I've, I've got to get ahead, and so I've got to put in more hours, and so I've got to work. Or maybe it's, maybe it's family. I've been married a wife, and if I, she's, you know, she's a little finicky. If I leave her, who knows what's going to happen. Um, or maybe it's kids, or maybe it's, well, I've got to go shopping. Or maybe it's the house. I've got to fix things at home. Or I even heard this, this excuse in the Philippines. I've got to do my laundry. I don't know about you. But I'd much rather be here than do laundry. Uh, now, maybe that's the only time you have, you have. But no, it's not. You could do it anytime, really. Of course, you've got to work. But, you, you know, some evening of the week, you could do your laundry. And be here on the Lord's Day. This precious value. And they say, eh, reject. We don't like it. It's not good for me. Think of all that men value. Jesus said in Luke 16, 15, that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. And here, it's kind of flipped around, that which is precious in the sight of God is detestable in the sight of men. But again, flip it as Jesus did, that which is highly esteemed among men, gold, right? Gold, gold. How much per ounce these days? But you know, when you get to glory, that's paving stones. The streets are paved with gold. That's how valuable it is. You just walk on it. Beauty, it fades. Power, political power, it comes to an end. God sits in heaven and laughs at the kings of the earth. What's precious in the sight of God ought to be precious for us. That which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Don't put first those things which God says are of no value, but put first and don't reject that which he says is of greatest value. So that's their first response, rejection. Verse 7 tells us it's disbelief. But for those who disbelieve, those who disbelieve, they fail to put their confidence in Jesus. They trust maybe their goodness. They trust their wisdom. They trust uh, their strength. What does God say about that? Cursed is the man who trusts his wisdom. I've got this. 
Yeah? You know, a little blood vessel bursts in the brain. Where's your wisdom? Maybe you can't even talk anymore. You trust your strengths. This is something that happened 40 years ago. There was a young man, strong like a bull, lifting weights in a gym. Had something come up from his stomach and he choked and died on the weight bench. I knew the young man just as an acquaintance. Tragic. Cursed is the man who trusts in his own strength. They believe in themselves, but the arm of flesh we sang earlier will fail you. The arm of your wisdom will fail you. But here you have the arm of almighty power. That will not fail. They disbelieve. Now, look in your heart. Do you believe you're a good person? This is what the world tells you. It, it always strikes me as strange that in the media, which details for us all the crimes of mankind, it also proclaims man's goodness. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Do you believe that you're a good person? Look in your heart. You know, I never had problem with the doctrine of total depravity because God, in his kindness to me, showed me my heart. Selfish, desiring things for myself. When I saw who I was, I had no boast. Total depravity. Do you believe that? Do you see it? Do you believe that Jesus came from heaven, lived on earth, lived a perfect life, died? Well, you say, well, yeah. What are you going to do with it? You say you believe, but do you come to him? See, if you don't come to him, you don't really believe it. Don't reject the gospel. It says further, they stumbled at the word. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Verse 8, they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. The word says your heart is wicked, and some stumble at that. The word says your good works are filthy rags. They stumble at that. The word says that your will is enslaved to sin. And they say, no, it's not. I'm, a free, I'm free to do what I want. Well, why do you keep sinning? I was talking at lunch with someone and referred to this book by Brian Borgman. I forget the title of the book, but he tells of uh, an incident when he was doing a Bible study in a prison. And he asked this, this one man objected as he was talking about total depravity. He said, no, I'm not a slave of sin. I can do whatever I want. And Pastor Borgman just asked the man the question. Of course, it's a bit sensitive in a prison. So how many times have you been in here? And he said, well, this is my third time. He said, you, you mean after once you kept doing what you did to get you back in here? Well, yeah, I can change any time, <laughs> but you don't. They stumble. You need a crucified Savior. And we read that to Jews, that was a stumbling block. But you see, there's only one Savior. And he gave himself an offering and a sacrifice to pay 
the penalty that sin deserves for all who believe in him. They stumble at the word. They're disobedient to the word. They will not have this King Jesus to rule over them. They want to be the captain of their own fate, and they sail their ship straight to hell. Is that what you want? This is what happens to those who reject the word. What's the result? Well, disappointment. It says, uh, those who believe in him will not be disappointed, but those who disbelieve will be disappointed. Disappointed. Hopes will be dashed. I spoke at the funeral of a man, the uncle of one of our members in the Philippines, who uh, we, the funeral service was at his house. And so there were all these, you know, the, the house was, let's say, a fixer-upper. And he had all these plans to fix it up. And he was going to do this over here and do that over there. He had all these hopes for what he was going to do. And his wife had all these hopes. But they were disappointed. Like the rich fool. Oh, I've got such a harvest. I'm going to tear down my barns and build newer ones, bigger ones. Were his hopes realized? Tonight, this night, your soul is required of you. Dear friend, your hopes will be disappointed in this life and in the life to come if you don't know the Savior. Shame. Imagine all your sin exposed. All your secrets revealed. All those things that you lied to mom and dad about, lied to your teacher about, lied to the judge about. Revealed. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 2, There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. How will you feel in that day when your secret sins, your secret fantasies, thoughts, Sins of word and deed and thought are proclaimed. I need a Savior. I need someone to cover my sin. I need someone to hide my sin and pay for my sin. It's a shameful thing. Those who don't believe in Him will be grievously, eternally, devastatingly put to shame. They stumble. We read, this is referring back to Isaiah chapter 8. Let me quote the text, Isaiah 8, 13 to 15. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread, and then he shall become, this is shocking, a sanctuary. The one you dread, the one you fear, will be a resting place, a, sanctuary, a safe place. But to both houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many will stumble over them and they will fall and be broken. They will be ensnared and caught. Isaiah says, this God should be your sanctuary, your resting place. 
But if you reject him, if you're disobedient to the word, you're going to stumble on him and be crushed. These who are disobedient to the word, these who reject the cornerstone, these who do not believe, he says, they will be put to shame. They will be crushed by this stone. And to go on to verse 10, just to mention, they are not a people and they're still not a people. They had not received mercy and they still haven't received mercy. And dear friend, if you reject this Savior, this is what you get. It's, it's a stark, awful picture. You know, we preachers are not calloused. We're not hard-hearted. God himself said, I do not delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that he turn from his way and live. And we who preach in this place are like our Savior. We don't delight in saying such things. Well, this is what you get. We say them that you would flee that and flee to the Savior and find in him, as Isaiah said, a sanctuary, a resting place, a safe place, a place of delight, a place of life, a place of mercy. And so... As we conclude this evening, that's, that's what we saw, the chief cornerstone, that precious stone. And the two responses, two results to those responses. There's the, result, the response of reception, of belief, of coming to Christ. There's the response of rejection, disbelief, stumbling. And so the question is, what do you do with Jesus? Not, have you reformed yourself? Not, have you changed your religion? Not, have you gone to church all your life? Or even, oh, maybe now you're just starting to go to church. I go to church now. Not, how many good works you have? Not, are you better than your neighbors? You know, I've gotten those kind of answers in talking to people along the way. Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I go to church. Oh yeah, I, I, I don't do this anymore. I used to be a bad person, but now... That's not the question. Because all your good works are really filthy rags. The, the question is, what do you do with Jesus? Do you see his value? This precious value. This precious stone. You see his person, son of God and son of man. He came down, lived among men, lived a hard life as a peasant, carpenter's son as it was supposed do you see, he's the son of God who endured this hardship for what purpose? To save his people. Who are his people? They're described here. They come to him. They're built upon him. They receive him. They believe in him. And so the question is this. Have you come to him? Do you believe him? Do you put your weight on him? Do you trust him alone? That's the question. What do you do with Jesus? And if you have come to him, I know I'm speaking to many here tonight. What is this message? What do you take home tonight? Well, are you a loser? <laughs> You've got this precious stone. You've, you're related to Christ, the chief cornerstone. You're in his kingdom, part of his temple. You have a precious value. 
No matter your circumstance here in this earth, and you may be rich, you may be poor, you may just be scraping by, <laughs> but if you're in Christ, you've got a precious value more worth more than the Kohinoor diamond. Imagine that. You have Christ. But as we close, this is the issue. What will you do? What do you do with Jesus? And so as I look at faces, because I'm talking to people tonight, I, I'm talking to you. What do you do with Jesus? Is it, eh, well, yeah, I believe that stuff. Or is he the best thing that ever happened? He is your precious savior. Jesus is all the world to me. It's one of the songs we sing. What is he to you? If he's not this precious value to you, well, guess what? You stumble. You're crushed by this stone. And I would spare you. Turn from the world to this Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this precious stone. We thank you for your Son, our Savior. We thank you that in your eternal purpose, the covenant, that eternal covenant, you determined to send your Son to purchase with his blood a people for his own possession. And we ask that even this evening, he would be seen as that precious value by each and every one here tonight. And that each and every one would come to him as to this living stone, choice and precious. That they would turn from the world, Jesus, to seek. And for your people, that we would realize what we have in Christ. And that he is worth more than all the worlds besides. And that we indeed will never be disappointed, never be put to shame. Because we have such a Savior. And we thank you for him. Receive then our praise and hear our cries. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.